0: Welcome to How to Catholic with Kevin and Lisa Cotter, a podcast dedicated to helping you practically live your Catholic faith with excellence.
1: Get excited because Christmas is almost here and on the podcast today we give you part three of our three-part series on our adult Jesse tree. Today, we will be covering moments in salvation history that most of us don't really think about or know about, such as the split of the kingdom, the prophets, the exile, and the return.
0: While they might not be as familiar to us, when it comes to Advent, these important parts show us how God's people long for the Messiah. Join us as we wait for Jesus' coming by discovering the Word of God. You won't want to miss it, so stay right here. Lisa, if you could live in any one Old Testament period, which one would you want to live in?
1: Uh, The kingdom, the royal kingdom. Wrong answer. It's the
0: Garden, Adam and Eve, and Paradise. That would be a great (laughs) time to live in. No, wait.
1: This is my. This is my.
0: Okay, but you wouldn't want to live in Paradise. You wouldn't want to live in Paradise.
1: I suppose I would.
0: But I mean, you're responsible for a lot. I mean, because then you would have original sin. So
1: yeah, I don't want to be Eve. It's a lot sure. of weight on your shoulders.
0: That sounded like is a pun, but it wasn't a pun.
1: No, it wasn't.
0: Well, welcome everyone to our third part of our three-part series, final part on our adult Advent Jesse tree. But before we get into the Old Testament, Lisa, has a fun announcement for you.
1: I do, I do. This week I have been talking with my friend, Amanda Texera. You might remember Amanda from Season 1, Episode 4. We did a How to Debt episode together. It was awesome. It was awesome. You need to look it up if you um, are newer to the podcast and have not gone all the way back to Season 1, which just is, just says Episode 4, but then later we call it Season 1. Point being, Amanda's episode. So Amanda, at the end of the podcast, we announced that they were launching a brand new online course on how to become debt-free. And at the time, they were testing it out, and we invited our listeners to be in the beta test, and several of you were a part of that beta test. And since then, so this was a year ago, since then, they have fine-tuned and done the course, I think, three times now, and they're getting ready to do another run of the course and they have just had amazing results. Um, I've been so excited to see how well the course is doing, how it's changing lives, how it's getting people out of debt and giving them financial freedom. And so they're getting ready to do another course and we wanted to share that course with you. Not just because we want you to know about it, but because we really believe in this course. We really believe in what the Techstars are doing and the way that they are helping people to get debt free with a Catholic lens and vision. And so this course is opening up again. It's gonna be available I think within the week or so, you can start to sign up for it again. And the course starts on January 15th, uh, but you have to sign up by January 14th. So if you're a real procrastinator, you have until the night before the course actually starts. But here's what we're going to do for you podcast listeners. Because we love you and we want you to get out of debt, we actually have a link that's going to be in the show notes here. So you can sign up for this course and we are going to pay for $50 of your tuition for this course there's going to be a $50 discount provided by us because we really believe in this course. So the, the normal cost is $397, which sounds like a lot if you're in debt and you're trying to figure out how to get out of it. But here's the thing. They give you a 60-day money-back guarantee. So if you don't make that money back in the amount of money that you are saving as you're working through this course, 60 days. You just tell them, listen, hey, it's not working. We're not, we're not getting out of debt here. No problem. They, they give you your money back. So it's really kind of a... Uh, no risk situation here. So with our discount, the the cost of the course is $347, which is pretty amazing. Um, Amanda and Jonathan in one year, they had a five figure turnaround. Uh, I can't remember. It was like something crazy, like $26,000 or something Mm -hmm. is what they got out of debt in, in a matter of months. So they know what they're doing. The course I was looking at it today. It's incredible. It's, it's done um, really well, really well thought through Uh, the websites. Amazing. Um, and they're just a fantastic couple. Uh, really want to encourage you to go check that out. So, there will be a link in the show notes. And again, if you click on that link, it's going to take you to a special place where you can sign up and get a $50 discount because um, Kevin and I love you. And the course will be 347 for you while it's 397 to non-How-To Catholic listeners.
0: Yeah, that's right. There you well, go. Well, there you go. Thanks, Lisa. Wallet Win. Your, for check it out. Wallet Win. Yeah, that's awesome. So, we're continuing our series, and we're doing our adult. Jesse Tree. We're walking through salvation history. And again, just to remind ourselves of this vision, it is Advent time. We're waiting for the coming of Christ. And to really know how important it was that Jesus came into this world, it's helpful to know where we came from. It's helpful to see the history of God saving his people to ultimately culminate in Jesus. And so I know as people are listening, I'm sure there's certain things we're leaving out. We're not going to be able to cover everything. A lot of times we go really fast but it's really fun to go through all this. It's fun to like pull different stories and different facts as we're going along. So we uh, we've gotten really good feedback on the show, and hoping you're enjoying it as much as we are.
1: Yeah, yeah. So our hope is really just to kind of give you an overview. So I'm going to give you a quick little recap as we've been walking through this bloodline of Jesus. So we went from Adam to Seth, who's the son of Adam. And then there's a couple generations, and we have Noah, and then after Noah comes his son Shem. A couple more generations, we have Abraham, who has Isaac, who has jacob and then jacob's one of his sons jacob's name gets changed to israel is judah and that uh is at the time when they go into egypt at this point uh the 12 tribes go to egypt or well the 12 sons later they become the tribes they go to egypt they're there for 400 years moses who's not a part of jesus's bloodline frees them and then we um go from judah to jesse several generations later, and Jesse is the father of King David, and that is where we left you off last time it was with David. So David becomes king after Saul, who was not from the tribe of Judah, which means he's not from the line of Judah, which means he's not related to Jesus. And for the most part, David's a really good king. Like, they kind of, when you think of the height of the uh, Jewish, uh, or not really Jewish, but of the Israelite kingdom, you know, the Davidic kingdom, Right here with David and following after him, his son Solomon, is when it's like really good. Things, are, things seem like they're going really good. So David, he's faithful to the Lord. They say he's, you know, this man after God's heart. He's the one who brings the Ark of the Covenant back to Jerusalem. It had been stolen by the Philistines, um, who were some people who they were battling with, uh, trying to keep the promised land. And the problem, though, despite David's amazing liturgical dancing, which I think is probably what was going on. Is he?
0: Wow! Didn't see that coming. Was that
1: the origination of liturgical dancing? Do you think?
0: Uh, I think in the in the eyes of people who do liturg- liturgical dancing, yes.
1: Do you think he had ribbons? Because those are really important for liturgical dancing.
0: I'm sure he did.
1: I'm sure he had ribbons. Yeah. This is probably like close to blasphemy here or something. David had one but one downfall.
0: Maybe more than one, but one of the a, key a downfalls one. he had. A really big one. Was Bathsheba. And Bathsheba. He, sorry, not to make too many corrections, but earlier I think you were talking about Saul was not from the tribe of Judah, but you kind of made it sound like David wasn't in Jesus' bloodline. But David oh, definitely was. Yes, yes. Yeah. Definitely. Just wanted to clear that up as well. But we're yeah. talking about Bathsheba. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, this is uh this really begins a spiral with David, and the sin of David is gonna have a huge impact on his family. And so David is hanging out one day, and the way it all starts is that all of his kingdom, all the men in his kingdom are off to battle is the time, scripture tells us it's the season in which the kings went off to war and David's at home. The
1: liturgical season of war.
0: That's right. And um, so he's not where he's supposed to be and I think that's a lot of times where sin starts is we're in the wrong place at the wrong time and so David's hanging out and he sees Bathsheba bathing on her roof. He looks at her and he wants her and so he calls for her. He actually gets people to send, uh, you know have Bathsheba come to him they sleep together and big problem he finds out she's pregnant so he's like oh I'll cover this up like we do with the usual sin like we figure out ways to cover it up so he's like I'll just bring her husband Uriah home from battle and then I'll just have Uriah sleep with Bathsheba and they won't know it's my child we're totally fine here well the problem is Uriah comes home and he's like oh Well, all my fellow men, like, they're out to battle. Like, I can't even sleep in my house. So David's like, well, shoot, he won't even sleep in his house. He won't sleep with his wife. So they're like, what am I supposed to do? So he gets Uriah drunk. Uriah still won't sleep in his house, right? Which is showing, like, David's sin, that, like, he's at home, but Uriah, like, respects all the troops, and David doesn't. And so David's like, well, I'm down to my last solution. I'll just send Uriah back. I'll tell him to go into battle, Everyone else will pull back. They'll leave URI out there, and he'll get killed, and then that'll solve my problem.
1: Kind of a big sin. Seriously, yeah. big sins.
0: Yeah. So it's good to see the progression here. Wrong place, wrong time. One sin leads to trying to cover up another sin, which leads to, leads to an even bigger sin, the sin of murder. And um, yeah, this is where it starts to spiral. It has effect in David's life, and then uh, later on it's going to start to spiral his kingdom out of control as well.
1: Yes. So Bathsheba and David end up having a son together, and this son is Solomon. And uh, it's interesting, if you you read in Matthew's genealogy, which we're going to read at Mass, is it Christmas Eve or Christmas Day? I know it's somewhere in there. Yeah. Depending on when you go, you'll likely hear it's genealogy right and they phrase it this way as they're going through um so yeah this is what's fun pay attention to the genealogy because if you've been listening through this series here there's a lot of names that are going to be really familiar to you and you're going to be like oh that guy yeah that makes more sense now as you as you listen genealogy is actually really cool if you actually know who's who and if you know your scriptures then you do know who's who so the way they phrase it is and david was the father of solomon by the wife of uriah Mm. The wife of Uriah being Bathsheba, yeah, and so this is the son of Solomon. Or sorry, the son of David that ends up going on to be the king is this child that he has with Bathsheba um, in this kind of scandal here.
0: In quick note, the child that they have in the original act of adultery dies in Bathsheba's womb, but it's only after. Uri dies, that David takes Bathsheba as a wife, and then they have Solomon.
1: Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, I always thought it was the child that that. I'm like
0: 97.3 percent positive. <laughs> that's about really it. a
1: quite an interesting statistic there. I get really scientific, scientific about it. Yeah, that's uh, that's that's special. All right, so Solomon reigns. So after David, Solomon reigns, and like his dad, he starts out good. Solomon's known for he asks for wisdom. God says, "Well, what do you want me to give to you?" Right, and Solomon's like wisdom because
0: I'm so awesome. And then he like gets two women. They're like, this is my baby. And they're like, this is my baby. And he's like, well, let's cut the baby in half. And, <laughs> and then the woman who actually had the son, she was like, okay. And then he's so wise, he solves it.
1: Well, no, the woman who has the son is like, no, don't cut my baby. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. yeah. And then the
1: woman who's son it's not actually Yeah, like, she's
0: like, cut him in half. Whatever. He's like, you're the one. You're the liar.
1: And it doesn't even make sense why the other woman would be like, yeah, cut him in half because wouldn't that kill the baby? There has to be something like symbolic about cutting him in half
0: or something. No, she just didn't care about the, she was like, fine. If like, I can't like, if if I can't have him, then Then nobody can. Yeah. Huh. But the true mom was like, I'd rather have him live. Even if he wasn't my son. There you go. What a wise man.
1: What a wise man. Solomon was. Well, yeah, we'll get to it. So (laughs) he's the one who's known for his wisdom and he's the one who builds the temple. So for whatever reason, God was like, David, you're not the one who's going to build my temple. It's Mm going to be Solomon. So Solomon builds this incredible temple, which is, you know, gorgeous. And it's covered with all of these symbols of Eden kind of showing like this is kind of the new Garden of Eden. This is the new place where God's going to dwell with his people. Because Salvation History is all about God's desire to dwell with his people. And so he gets, you know, can't dwell with them in the garden anymore. So then he's dwelling with them in the tent in the desert, in the Ark of the Covenant, and then eventually, okay, now we need to give God a home. So they, they finally built him this temple. But if we read carefully about Solomon, we also learn that while he built this amazing, unbelievable temple, he also built this twice as amazing, twice as big home for himself. So Solomon's like, yeah, God, you're important, but you know who's really important is me. I need an even bigger house than you do, God. And Solomon had, I don't even... I don't even, I can't even. Okay. He had 700 wives and 300 concubines is what scripture tells us. Not
0: right. There's yeah, just not, something really wrong with that. Not good.
1: Yes. And his wives, many of them are foreigners. And so they're, I don't know if they're not foreigners, but they're worshiping false gods.
0: They're foreigners usually. Cause there's, he's making like pacts with other nations. There we go. That's yeah. why he has so many wives. They're not like, they're not like marriages that we think of. They're just like, alliances and it's like here's this woman to represent that you won't kill the phoenicians okay
1: we'll take her so he begins to fall into idol worship as well so he's worshiping these false gods. so here he is he's the king of the israelites he's the king of these people who are in a covenant with god and he is leading his people into worship of other gods big problem really big problem so i think i think what's interesting about this it's a good spot to say this here. What I love about scripture is we see over and over again, here we see these people who start out really good, or these people who are supposed to be the best of the best, and even they have their downfalls. And and sometimes you can look at that and think, like, what screw-ups? Like, what's wrong with these people, right? <laughs> but really, it should give us hope, because we can look at our own life and think, yeah, we make mistakes. We're not perfect. But God uses imperfect people. He uses imperfect leaders. He uses imperfect imperfect. And... Yeah, this is what we see over normal scripture again, like God still works through them. That's kind of encouraging to me. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So Solomon, he's kind of our last united king of Israel, and this is when things start to kind of go awry, and part of it, or really all of it, is because of this not being faithful to the covenant and worshiping these false
0: gods. That's right. And this is going to have a huge effect. We always see in scripture when sin happens, it's not just the sin of that. That person's sin doesn't just affect them. It affects multiple people. So we see that with Noah. uh, We see that with Abraham. And we see it with David and and Solomon as well. And so that sin is going to transfer down to his son. And so after Solomon dies, his son Rehoboam takes over. But it kind of gets rough from there. So, um, Rehoboam, who's supposed to oversee this kingdom, he doesn't have the wisdom of, of his father. And um, where there's this guy named Jeroboam from the northern part of the kingdom. And he's like, Hey, your, your father gave us a lot of taxes, right? So, like, Solomon built this temple, and to build that temple, he had to put a lot of taxes. He's like, We want to serve you, but could you lower the burden? Because that's what we're going to need to serve you. And so, Rehoboam seeks out counsel. So, he seeks out counsel from the wise old men and they say like, "Hey, you should do right by the northern tribes. You know, take off the burden, and then they'll follow you." And then he talks to his friends, and his friends are like, "No way, Be be terrible to him! Like, show build him your bo-. build
1: your crib. Your house isn't cool enough yet."
0: That's that's right. They said that. I think and, so. Yep. So Reaaboom's like, "Oh well, like my father ruled you with whips. Like I'm gonna rule you with scorpions." which sounds really gang-like to, to come back at. And so the north's like, oh, oh, really? Okay, well, we're going to go to civil war. And so Jeroboam takes the northern tribes and has a civil war with Rehoboam, and then the kingdom gets split into half. So with ten tribes going to the north and two tribes in the south, um, well, actually three, Benjamin, Benjamin, and Judah, the tribes of Benjamin, Judah, who make up the Jews. We talked about this last time the difference between Israelites, Hebrews, and Jews. And then also you have the Levites, who are the priests. They're kind of split up. And so, but that, that priesthood continues with uh, the Jewish people in the south.
1: Yeah. So this is where, I mean, God's people have now been divided. The 12 tribes are divided. So the north is called Israel. Um, when when you're talking about in history, um, it's called simply Israel, and they're ruled by Jeroboam. And now the south is what we call is called Judah. That's when we we think about. Um, like the line of Judah, Judah there, and that's ruled by David's grandson, Rehoboam, so Solomon's son. And this is the line that Jesus is eventually going to come from, the line that's going to continue on. So the north and the south, it kind of gets interesting because they have their traditions, they have their ways that they worship, so they have to kind of figure out how are we going to do this now that we're two divided kingdoms. So in the north, there's a new uh, capital. So in the south, it's Jerusalem. In the north, now it's Samaria. Samaria becomes their capital, and we hear about Samaria a lot in the Gospels. We hear about the Good Samaritan. We hear about uh, the woman at the well is from Samaria. So who are these people? These people kind of come out of this eventually, and then they need a place of worship because Jerusalem is where the temple is, but there's obviously not a temple in the north. So what Uh, Jeroboam does it's always confusing because their names are so similar
0: (laughs) both of them are boams I always I always mix them up I have a hard time
1: I try to remember in alphabetical order so the J goes on the top and the R goes on the bottom Anyway, that's
0: good I'm going to use that
1: you can use that yeah that's a little pro tip for you that's a that's a hack right there (laughs) We haven't done a hack in a while. There's your Bible hack. Um, Okay, so they have to set up places of worship. So they set up Dan, which is in the far north, and then Bethel, that's in the far south, um, and kind of in place of the temple. Those are the places where they're going to go, these northern tribes, to worship, because they don't want to go to the south, to Jerusalem. And so, like Kevin said, Levi, the line tribe of Levi stays with the south, and those are the priests. And the north then needs a priesthood. And they stray from what God had set up all the way back at the time of the golden calf. And they say, well, anybody can be a priest. So any, anybody from any tribe can be a priest. So, so they were kind of creating their own um, traditions that are based upon the traditions that they've had, but they're not really of God. And this is the way that they're, they're living up in the north.
0: And Jeroboam doesn't make just one golden calf. He makes two golden calves and he says to the people, Here are your gods, Israel, who brought you out of Egypt. Oh, man.
1: Problem. He clearly doesn't know his uh, history. Not good. He didn't see the Prince of Egypt.
0: He did not. He has not seen that Disney movie.
1: No, or the Ten Commandments.
0: Or Moana. He hadn't seen (laughs) Moana either.
1: (laughs) Moana has nothing to do with the
0: Bible. (laughs) Oh, well. Okay. Talk uh, to certain focused missionaries. Moana is a gospel presentation.
1: We'll let you ponder that, friends. Deep thoughts. All right, Kevin. So what happens in the north now? Because we're divided. Yeah.
0: So you have the north. They're in a series of kings who are unfaithful. um, But you have constantly prophets going to them and saying, hey, you're being unfaithful. And if you continue this behavior, it's not going to go well for you. And so during this time, uh, you know, there's some different famous stories with those prophets. Probably the most famous is uh, with King Ahab, who's one of these corrupt kings. And he is married to Jezebel, who's trying to increasingly get the north to fall into idolatry uh, with different gods. And so um, we have this famous story of Elijah going against the prophets of Baal. And Baal meant uh, husband. And so it's was really um, a great image for what these northern tribes were doing is they're ultimately falling into adultery. They were going off to other gods and to other women and they are making um, yeah, them their spouse. And God was trying to call them back to be their spouse. And so at the same moment where uh these priests of Baal and Elijah line up and they're like, All right, who's the real God? Well, we'll have these sacrifices, we'll have these wood lined up and whoever's wood lights on fire, we know that's the true God. And so
1: Like magically, not not like whoever's a better Boy Scout.
0: I mean, I I don't know if I'd call it magic, Lisa. We're talking about God and miracles, but yeah, it's miraculous.
1: Oh, um, okay. Or I
0: guess to the prophets of Baal, maybe that's magic. That would be magic. Anyways, it's a great story. They have these piles of wood. Elijah throws water on his, and the, the, the just to prove how awesome his God Yeah, is. because it can still light on fire. The priests of Baal like slash themselves because that's supposed to try to get Baal's attention is like they're bleeding. And so all these priests are like slashing themselves. The water's on on Elijah's, but all of a sudden catches flame, and all the people are like, you have the true God. And then all these priests who have cut themselves are not in a really great state, and the people come and just, like, kill all the priests. Pretty crazy. And then Elijah has to go on the run because Ahab's not too happy.
1: Neither is Jezebel. She's like, you killed all my priests. I don't like you anymore.
0: Yep, that's exactly what they said. So eventually the northern tribes, because of their unfaithfulness, they fall to the Assyrian empire in 722 BC. So that's 722 years before Christ. And it's also goes back to this idea that they're cheating on God. They're being unfaithful to the covenant. And because of that, God is going to take away their land and take away their sovereignty.
1: Yes. So the North goes into exile as a result of their sin and their unfaithfulness. Okay. So what's going on at the South at this same time here? So, you know, they've split in the South, uh, Kind of the same things going on. There aren't as many famous stories that, you know, everybody's like, oh yeah, that one from the South. Um, but in the South, that's where we get the prophets Isaiah and Jeremiah. Uh, they are kind of preaching to the South saying, you need to remain faithful to God. You need to turn back to him or what's going to happen. you results of your sin. You're going to no longer be um, like you're breaking your covenant with God. This is going to result in problems, right? So in the south, we've got good kings and bad kings, and they kind of rotate back and forth. And these are the books of Kings and Chronicles is where you can read all these stories here. And the south is able to hold off Assyria for longer than the north, uh, but eventually Assyria comes and takes everything but Jerusalem. And so they're holding on to Jerusalem, and, and this is kind of during the reign of King Hezekiah. And he, he was pretty he was a good king. He's, he's remembered as a good king, but he had one downfall, and that is that after he defeats Assyria, which is a cool story, uh, which you can go and read in the Bible sometime. But Babylon comes to congratulate him. Like, hey, you held off Assyria. And he's like, yeah, I'm so awesome. Hey, come look at all my cool stuff that I have. And he shows off. He shows off the treasures of the temple. He shows off all the gold that they have. And just kind of trying to show like, yeah, that's right. We're awesome. But this ends up being a really, really big mistake because Babylon, a couple of Hundred years later, shows up and takes them over. So we'll get to that. So after Hezekiah, he's got this mistake, which is a little foreshadowing of what's going to come. Then Manasseh rules and he's evil. And then Josiah rules and he's good. Uh, he's the one who brings the people back to the law. He finds Deuteronomy, which I'm like, how did you lose Deuteronomy? I don't know. And he's reading it and he's he's like rending his guards cause, or his garments because he's like, this is why we're having all these problems. We made a covenant with God, and we haven't been faithful to it. No wonder things are going so poorly. So He tries to bring people back to to living faithfully, the the law, living um, all the the things that have been asked of them in the law, and but it's it's not quite enough. Um, so then Joachim is comes, and this is when Babylon starts to make their move, um, and so Joachim makes kind of like a, an alliance, he makes himself a vassal of Babylon's king, Nebuchadnezzar. So if you've seen your veggie tales, um, which is how I learned most of my Old Testament history was through veggie tales, you know who Nebuchadnezzar is through uh, Rakshak and Beni, or as they're actually known, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, right? So Nebuchadnezzar, this this bad king. Um, and there's uh, yeah, there's a lot more to this story, but eventually what happens is Babylon takes over um And about 586, 587, Babylon takes over the southern kingdom. Now, Babylon also in 612 had conquered Assyria. So at this point, it's Babylon ruling over both the northern tribes and the southern tribes, all because they were not faithful. And that's the result from being unfaithful to the covenant and worshiping another god. Well, then your god is no longer um, able to be in relationship with you if you are essentially cheating on him with somebody else.
0: I think it's really important to see the perspective of them being exiled. Like, remember, especially coming from Abraham, God made these promises, land, kingship, worldwide blessing, right? He brings them out of Egypt to the promised land. He establishes the Davidic kingdom. Like, all of this salvation history has led them to have this kingdom, and then it's taken away. They're actually They put, blow it. They blow it. All those promises that God gave to them. And so— um, yeah, not not the best thing in the world. Um, so what happens to these two parts of uh, the kingdom? So the north, uh, we don't know too much about what happened. Learned a little bit from uh, Tobit, which is in one of the Deuterocanonical books, which means it's one of the seven books of the Bible that Catholics have, but that both Jews and Protestants do not have in either of their canons
1: the Jews did have the books no oh how did I miss that
0: I don't know but real quick one of the reasons is just simply because they're written in Greek but one
1: of their holidays comes from a Deuterocanonical that's right in Maccabees
0: Hanukkah comes from Maccabees but because it's written in Greek they don't accept it but they don't accept it at a council in like the year 100 AD anyways
1: (laughs) that's for another podcast
0: that's for maybe another podcast all right, so some stayed faithful, but a lot of them intermarried with pagan people. And so eventually these 10 tribes in the north are known as the 10 Lost Tribes of Israel. And it's not because they like walked around and got lost. It's because ultimately they intermarried with these northern people, with other nations, which again, wasn't supposed to happen. And they really became a different people. And this people uh, comes to be known as, you know, five 600 years later as the Samaritans. And of course, we know that from the Good Samaritan, uh, or the Samaritan woman, uh, in the gospel of John chapter four.
1: Right. Okay. And so in the South then, when they're in exile, um, so they, they get taken over by Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar's in charge at the time, and he destroys their temple and, and pretty much all of Jerusalem. He even destroys the walls that are surrounding Jerusalem. And we don't know a whole lot here either. Um, but we do know that many of them did remain faithful. Um, there are some famous stories. I guess we know a lot more about the South than we do about the North. Uh, some of those famous stories would be Daniel and the lion's den, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, which I mentioned earlier. Those are two great kid stories. I feel like every kid knows those stories. And this is where Jeremiah and Ezekiel come in. So Jeremiah and Ezekiel both were um, around during this time of, of like right before the exile and in the exile. They're living through this with, with, the, um, with the Jewish people.
0: Good. So exile lasts around 70 years. Uh, and then Babylon is conquered by Persia and King Cyrus. Uh, King Cyrus ends exile and then allows the Jews to go home. And they really come home in, in usually what's seen as three different ways. So the first wave with, is with Zerubbabel, which is what a great name. He rebuilds the temple. one. The yeah, if you're wave,
1: pregnant, that's one to consider. Yeah, really mm-hmm. think
0: about that. Mm-hmm. Uh, the second wave was with Ezra. Uh, he introduces the the Torah and the law to the people. Again, they've been in a foreign country, so just like Egypt, they're learning foreign ways. They're being amongst foreign gods, and so really has to give them back their scriptures and their way of life. And then finally, with Nehemiah, he actually builds the walls to try to keep enemies out. That was really important. And you know, Nehemiah was better than Ezra, just because I wanted to make a reference to a '90s band.
1: Thank you. We needed at least one biblical cheesy, not quite a pun, but you know.
0: Well, I mean, anytime I can reference a nineties ban I think is typically good, positive, yep,
1: good good, good all right so so they're back in their land, um but it's they're still under foreign rule, so it's it's kind of like things are better, but not quite like they're still not back to the glory days when they had their own king and they had their own kingdom and they were you know self uh sufficient but they they're back in their land, Cyrus is like, great fine. What could go wrong with letting people worship their God? So go ahead and do that. And so this kind of brings us to the last chapters of the Old Testament, um, which which in our Old Testament are Maccabees, um, but that's not found in the Protestant Bible. And Maccabees kind of transitions this time from shifting from the Old Testament into the New Testament. So at this point with Maccabees, when Maccabees begins, the Persians are no longer in power. So Cyrus, the Persians were in power Um letting people come back, returning back to the land. Uh, but thanks to Alexander the Great, now the Greeks are ruling. And it's a little more complicated than that, but we'll just leave it at that, <laughs> that they're under Greek rule. And uh, really, you know, I think if you want to know more about this, you could just watch the Maccabeats, mm-hmm. which are uh, a cappella Jewish band. That
0: Orthodox are... Jew a cappella group, of course. They're amazing. Yeah.
1: You can just look up. There's several of their songs, music videos on YouTube that show a lot of the stories from Maccabees and they're so good. Yeah. So really you could just watch that, but I, we should probably tell them a little more than just watch the Maccabees.
0: That'd be good. We'll put it
1: in the show notes if you want some links to our favorites.
0: Yeah. That'd be great. So ultimately the Jews are ruled by four different nations. First it's the Babylonians who take them in exile. Then it's the Persians. Then it's the Greeks under Alexander the Great, which Alexander the Great is pretty amazing. He is tutored by Aristotle and then from the age of 21 to like 31, he never loses a battle and conquers the whole known world. And he's seeking to make everyone to be Greek. And so then he dies tragically when he's about 33 years old. And then Antiochus Epiphanes takes over and Antiochus is not as nice as Alexander. And he wants the Jews to really submit to the greek lifestyle and so he tells them ultimately like you can't circumcise circumcise your children you need to eat pork and really tries to break them down and so that's a pretty amazing story and particularly the first few chapters of um maccabees is really amazing another one awesome story that time is from uh, second maccabees seven which is a story of uh, a mom who has seven sons and all seven sons choose to be martyred um also, just, yeah, another amazing story of these people who are just struggling to keep their faith and to live that out as they're waiting to really um, for a Messiah to come. That's what they're all waiting for. Throughout all these times where they're being conquered, the prophets over and over speak to him and say, one day, this is really bad now, but one day someone's going to come to restore your kingdom. You're going to have this new uh, Davidic king you're going to have your land back and your kingship back and your sovereignty and you're going to rule over the nations again and you're going to have that worldwide blessing
1: Yeah, so this is the world that Jesus is really coming coming into. It's this world that's waiting on a Messiah. And they're like, when, God, are you going to restore us? When are you going to bring us back? When is your kingdom going to come, this kingdom that we've been waiting for? And that's what they all picture this Messiah is going to be, right? He's going to be this Davidic king. He's going to come in military power, and he's going to win back the promised land and set everything straight. And you know, God's going to be our God, and we're going to be his people, and we're going to be in this covenantal bliss that we've just been waiting for. Uh, and I think there's something there's, you know, it, it's important to remember this point too, is that that's the whole point of salvation history is God trying to get back with his people. Like he just wants to restore his relationship with them and he wants to dwell with them again. And that's what he's doing in these series of covenants is he's trying to get back to a spot where he and his people can once again be united in this covenant relationship. Um, and so that's the whole kind of thread that we're watching throughout salvation history. And so then, kind of the like pinnacle of all this is then Jesus comes. That's right. He comes to dwell with us. That's Emmanuel, God with us. And he's coming to be that Messiah that they've been waiting for. He's coming to fulfill everything that they've been waiting for, everything that the prophets have been predicting. You know, there's all kinds of prophecies about what is this Messiah going to look like? Where is he going to come from? What's he going to do? All throughout the Old Testament. And here comes Jesus to fulfill all of that. And as we've been following this bloodline here, of course, he's from the line of David. So to close that last gap, really all we know is it's Zerubbabel. And then it's like, and then we get to Joseph, who is from the line of David, and that's Jesus's father. And so then here's Jesus being born into this line of David, which is one of the most important prophecies that that is spoken of uh, throughout the Old Testament that they're waiting for. That's one of their clues. They're going to know it's the Messiah because he's from the line of David.
0: That's right. And just to take that from another angle, although the angle that you just shared, it's ultimately Jesus is going to provide an opportunity to have that worldwide blessing. That is what... The Jewish people were waiting on. That's what they're always destined is to be, have that worldwide blessing, to be a light to the nations. And so Jesus's death on the cross by him, uh, be a lamb of God. And we talked about this with, with Abraham, that God one day would provide a lamb who would die outside of Salem. And so just outside of Jerusalem, uh, Jeru meaning that God will provide this place where God will, will provide a lamb. Jesus is this lamb of God who dies on the cross and provides a sacrifice that can ultimately overcome sin. This is the main problem of the Old Testament, is that sin creates a barrier between mankind and God. And so Jesus bridges that gap through his death on his, on, on the cross. And he also provides a way for everyone in the entire world to actually um, be in covenant with him. So as we grew from one couple to one family to one tribe to one nation to one kingdom, now we have one worldwide church, Um, and that's that universal blessing, and that's why I love even just the name of the Catholic Church, Catholic meaning universal. It's a place where anyone in the whole world can come, Um, and so yeah, that's just really huge as we think about Jesus, what he provides, how he fulfills everything in the Old Testament.
1: Yes. And there's so many angles that we could approach this from. As we were putting together these notes for the show, we were like, ah, this is so hard because there's so much that you can share on this and that you can share on how Jesus is the fulfillment of all of this and his coming. And and so like here he is now, he's he's come to dwell with us. And uh, the other angle we really want to highlight here um, is, is this idea of of this kingdom of his, this kingdom that they've been waiting for. And ultimately, the Jews are hoping and and waiting for this, you know, this king who's going to set things right and they're going to live in their land. But what Jesus does is he surprised them and, and the kingdom he establishes is not of this world. It's not a kingdom on this world. It's not this earthly rule, but it's, it's this spiritual rule. And it's not about having this political king here, but this king who's in heaven. And ultimately, that is his kingdom is in heaven. So there's no you know, physical temple, but this spiritual te- have temple that is in heaven. And then there's also this like crazy understanding of, well, now instead of God dwelling in the temple, well now he dwells in us and we become the temple. So God who wanted to be with us, what does he do? He gives us the Eucharist. He gives us the Holy spirit. He gives these ways where he can now no longer be confined to a temple, to this box, to this this room, but no, he wants to be with us. So he gives himself, he gives his spirit to us, and he gives his body to us through the Eucharist and uh, fulfills all these things that that he desired and all these things that the people have been waiting for.
0: Yeah, and I think that transitions perfectly into our how-to challenge for this week is that that's what the Advent season is all about. We're waiting for Christ's coming And we're not only to try to experience what the Jewish people experienced in waiting for him to come. That's a part of why we go through Salvation History just try to understand the drama that they went through in waiting for this Messiah. But also we're in a stage where we're waiting for that second coming. And, And in our own hearts, our job here in Advent is to make room, make way in our lives so that Jesus can come into it. And sin is that thing that ultimately and very often blocks our relationship with God. And so as we're waiting for the Lord as we're preparing for his second coming, we also want to prepare our hearts for that as well and to really practice and experience that this advent. And so really think confession and going to confession in this season is just so important. It's a very concrete and physical sign um, of, of how we're going to make room in our lives, how we can give up sin and say, Lord, we want you to be Emmanuel. We want you to be God with us. And we're gonna make room in our lives and our hearts to do just that.
1: We did it. Three episodes. There we go. We definitely went over time again. Yep. That's okay. And we definitely didn't do a saying quote to live by, but you know what? That's okay. We had so much to cover. Uh, So I hope that this has been enjoyable for you. I hope that it helps fill in some gaps and make sense out of the story of salvation history. Again, This isn't, uh, I mean, this is just like the tip, 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 tip of the iceberg. And I wish that we could dive more deeply into it. But uh, I want to give you a couple of quick resources. Um, The book that I read during my salvation history study uh, at the Guest Institute this semester was Walking with God by Tim Gray and Jeff Cavins. And that is just a fantastic book. If this is something that has sparked an interest in you, I would highly recommend grabbing that book. Also, I want to point out that Kevin has a Bible study at Focus um, on campus.org and it's free. It's a Bible study that we use on our focus campuses. There's even a video component with it. If you're going to be leading the study, great, great way to dive into salvation history in a community with some friends, or you could even do the study by yourself if you wanted to. But if you want to go deeper, those are two resources that I would throw your way. There's plenty, plenty more, but those are the two that I'm going to, I'm going to leave you with today so that's it for our show and thank you for listening if you want to connect with us our email is hello at made 2 magnify.com or you can find us on twitter and instagram at kevin r cotter or lisa Ann cotter that's Ann with no e quick little uh just so you know next week is christmas when our next episode should go up and we are going to be celebrating christmas so we're not going to have an episode go up next week but we'll catch you uh, in two weeks here As always, if you enjoy this show, please give it a rating on iTunes, add it to your podcast subscriptions, and tell a friend. This really helps us get the word out about the How to Catholic Podcast. We would be so grateful. Until next week, be saints. It's worth it.